during the, the offering slot. It reminds me of a, a practice that I learned recently um, that I, I had never done before, but it was a good, a really good thing. And it's called a five-minute prayer time. And it's kind of crazy, and you feel kind of weird the first time you do it. But um, you set a timer for five minutes. And you just sit that timer down and you say, okay, I'm going to pray for five minutes. And about seven seconds into it, you're like, has it been five minutes yet? Oh, it's only seven. I've only sat here still for seven seconds. Ah. And then, and uh, it's really good. It's a really awesome and then we've also brought it into our house where, you know, um, Isaac, you know, he's trying to balance these classes. And does he want to take this class? Does he want to sign up for that? Uh, we bought a car recently and it was, you know, we're going to buy this car or that car. How much are we going to spend? What are we going to do? Is it, are we going to buy a car for me and let Isaac drive the bucket of junk? Or are we going to buy Isaac a car since he has to be on class on time and I'll drive the bucket of junk? And, and what... Let's have five-minute prayer time, and um, and you you just sit there quiet before the Lord and and praise Him and pray and listen and pray and listen and pray, and after five minutes you're like, it's really wild. You might have four people in the room and everybody's like, we need to get him a nice car, or we need to keep what we have, or you need to sign up for three economics classes in one semester. You can do it. The Lord's with you. You know. Um, it's awesome how the Lord speaks in those times. So I encourage you to try that out. So this week, we're in Matthew 17. And uh, I was doing the math, and I was counting the Sundays, and I was counting the chapters. And at this rate, we will finish Matthew the first Sunday in November. So, remember when I started Matthew and I was like, I don't know if I want to do this a chapter a week because that will be 28 weeks. Here we are. Where are we going, right? So, uh, so we'll finish the Gospel of Matthew a month before Lent, about three Sundays before Lent. So, we'll have like three, su- not Lent, Advent. Um, we'll have about two, two or three Sundays in there and then we'll dive right into Advent. So, that's kind of a cool... A cool way how all that all that fits. But today we're in Matthew 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother, and they went up to a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them, and his face shined like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Wow. Behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. So they go up. It's Peter, James, and John, and Jesus. And this wasn't the only time just the four of them left. We, we get the impression there's other times where just the four of them would go and pray. And they're on this mountain. And all of a sudden, just, I mean, there's no warning. There's no... Uh, Jesus didn't do any magic spells to prepare for this or to make this happen. He is transfigured. His face shines like the sun 
and his clothes are as white as light. So I don't know if we have any lights in here that do this justice, right? But remember, these guys didn't have electricity. So they're describing something without the descriptors that we have. His face is like the sun. His clothes are as white as light. And all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah are right there with him. Now, Peter, James, and John had never seen Moses or Elijah, right? Those guys are a thousand plus years in the past. But they knew it was Moses somehow. And they knew it was Elijah. So Elijah dressed a lot like John the Baptist. He had the camel skin and the belt and all that. So you would know him by his clothes, if that's what it was, if it was by his clothes. Um, it may have been that they just knew. They, they just knew who it was. Peter gets excited, classic Peter. Lord, it's so good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. So Peter wants to make this a holy place. And the way you make it a holy place, and, and you know, uh, in the Old Testament, there was the tent of meeting where Moses built a tent, and God came and met with Moses in the tent, and the, that tent of meeting was the place where God showed up to Moses. And now they're here, and Moses and Elijah and Jesus are here. We must logically make a tent so that God can meet with these guys, and these guys can meet with people, and this is a holy place. We need to do this. Peter says to Jesus, oh, Peter said that to Jesus. He was still speaking, so God interrupted Peter. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. So right in the middle of that, God speaks. And He differentiates. One of these is not like the other. One of these is not quite the same. Right? You got Moses. He brought the law. You've got Elijah, and he was the greatest of all the prophets. But what do all of the law and the prophets point to? Jesus said, the law and the prophets all point to me. And so as much as God is greater than the law, God is greater than Moses, God is greater than all the prophets, because God sent the prophets, they were his employees. Here's Jesus greater. He's, he's the owner of the house that Moses had the law for and he is, he is the king instructor for which he sent all of the prophets to teach. So we got to talk about Jesus looking like uh, the sunshine and white clothes. Um, so in Ephesians 2 it says we are already seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So you, I know you're here, I know we can hear the air conditioning going, and I know we can hear loud hot rod dude at least once during every one of my sermons drive by, but you are also in Christ, 
seated in the heavenly places in glory right now. Well, right now isn't really right, the right word. Because time doesn't exist where Jesus is. It's eternity. But in Ephesians it says you've already been placed in Christ. When you believed, you were brought into Christ. And so if we could see you right now, the way you look right now in Christ, if all of a sudden one of y'all just looked the way that you look in Christ right now, we would all mistake you for Jesus. We would all think, Jesus is here right now. Mike was sitting there a second ago and now Jesus is sitting there. Because that's what you look like. You are in Him. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that incredible? It just, I mean, it blows your mind. I and mean, you can sit here and you can be angry and you can be frustrated. Uh, this can happen, that can happen, bad things, you can hurt, you can have pain. And in the midst of all of that, you are still seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus at the same time. That's the reality of it. So basically, Jesus, for a moment here, before James and John and Peter, showed these guys what He looks like. This is what I really look like. This is what I look like when I go hang out with Moses and Elijah. Who are dead. But they're alive. And when they're alive, they look like this. Just like you. Wow. Uh, the cloud that speaks, you know, throughout the Old Testament, God shows up in a cloud. Sometimes it's a cloud, sometimes it's fire, sometimes it's a, a storm cloud, sometimes it's a, it's, it's always this sort of mist cloud thing, and that's the glory of God, and that's, that's how he is visible to them, and, and here it is. One more cool thing about this, Moses. So remember when we read Exodus 100 years ago? Moses was denied being able to enter the promised land. He was supposed to touch this rock with his staff and water would flow from it. And instead he was mad at everybody. And in his anger he's like, look what you have to make me do. And he hit the rock and water still came out of it and God still provided water for people. But it looked like it was out of Moses' anger. And it looked like it was Moses doing it. And it was through violence. And that was not the way God wanted it to wanted to express that and to show that. So God said, you're going to see the promised land, but you're not going to enter it. You're not going to set foot in the promised land. And that's what happened. He went up on a mountain. He could see the promised land. There it was. And he died. And God hid his bones, it says. Now Christ is here. Christ the Messiah has come. The Messiah, the chosen one of God, to bear the sins of everyone. And where is Moses standing? He's standing in the promised land. And so this curse that was on Moses, the, the, um, the payment for Moses' sin, that said he could never stand in the promised land, because of Christ, it is taken away, and now Moses stands in the promised land. Isn't that awesome? 
like all any any thought of any sin that we could ever have that would ever be taken away think of God's judgment God's judgment was pretty clear against Moses you did this wrong you've angered me therefore you are never going to enter the promised land and in Christ Moses is standing there in the promised land all of a sudden he oh yeah the disciples they hear God speak they fall to the ground they're so scared I would be too oh my gosh they fell on their faces they're terrified Jesus comes and touches them this is important Jesus isn't a spirit fly through the walls optical illusion thing he hey you guys puts his hand on his shoulder. I'm still a real I'm still a real man. I'm, I'm a man. I'm a person. I'm here. He says, get up. Don't be afraid. They lifted up their eyes. They saw only Jesus. As they come down the mountain, Jesus commands them, don't tell anybody about this. <laughs> don't. This is going to really freak people out. Okay? Don't tell anybody you just saw Moses and Elijah because they'll all think you're crazy. Wait till I'm raised from the dead. Because once they realize that I'm raised from the dead and they believe that, then they'll believe that you saw Moses and Elijah up here. In another one of the Gospels, it tells us what they talked about. And Moses and it says that Moses and Elijah talked to Jesus about the suffering he was about to endure. So Jesus knew from the law and from the prophets that he would have to suffer, that he would be betrayed, that he would be crucified. He knew all of that. And here on the Mount of Transfiguration, it's almost like Jesus gets a, a little tutoring, a little last minute, you know, uh, you're going to take the SAT on Saturday. Well, Thursday night, we're going to drill you and we got a sample SAT just to get you ready. Jesus you're about ready to fulfill everything in the law and the prophets. Just to get you ready, I'm going to bring in Moses and Elijah to w brush up on what the law and the prophets said about you. Wow. So the disciples are still confused. This is Matthew 17.10. Why do the scribes say that Elijah has to come first? What? So... We've seen that you're the Son of God. We've heard God speak. You've talked to Moses and Elijah face to face. We saw it happen. But you're here, but we haven't seen any Elijah. So what, what's the deal with all that? And Jesus answers them. This is Matthew 17, 11. Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. He already came. And they didn't listen to him, but they did whatever they pleased. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking about John the Baptist. This reminds me of a time, I don't know why, my cousins, we were all little. I mean, not little. We were in our 20s, I guess. And, uh, that's funny. And, uh, one of them was talking about the end of the world. So somebody was telling me the end of the world's coming. When's the end of the world going to be? And I picked up a pen. I said, honestly, the end of the world could happen at any moment once I drop this. 
And then everybody got real tense. <laughs> so I was just trying to say, you guys, the end of the world can happen at any time. Any moment it could happen. Nobody knows when. I will put this back. Um, but they all thought Elijah had to come first. So when they hear Elijah already came, now it means, oh, the system is armed. Right? It could happen any minute now. So what they're quoting is Malachi 4. Malachi is the last of the prophets. He's the last prophet that anybody heard from. And then the Jewish people had 400 years of silence. And they had 400 years of silence after Malachi. It was so disturbing that right around the time of Jesus, there were Jewish councils meeting to discuss what had happened that no prophet had come to us in so long. Nobody's talking. Nobody's heard from God. Nobody's heard the voice of the Lord. What are we doing as a nation that God isn't speaking to us anymore? What is it? Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. Behold, wait, I need to do this real fire and brimstone. Behold, the day is coming. Right? That's how this they would have read this. Burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. A day that is coming that shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts. It'll leave them neither root nor branch. If you who fear my name, for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. Healing in its, could also be hems, right? Remember the lady that touched Jesus' hem? She was quoting this. The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. You'll go out leaping like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. So this is like some good wrath. We're just going to kill those Romans. We're just going to stomp them. I'm going to march on those Romans like they're ashes under my feet. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. There it is. I'm going to send you Elijah. He will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Remember John the Baptist? He said he came to do that. Otherwise, I'll come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So there's a lot of fear, a lot of fear wrapped up in Elijah coming. There's a lot of fear wrapped up in the Messiah coming. Because if Elijah is going to come and do all that, what's the Messiah going to come and do to everybody that's against him? So they're pretty excited. But they're also a little fearful, right? And then Jesus just says, John the Baptist was the man. He was it. There's another, another place in another gospel. He says, Elijah did come, but you rejected him. And in that case, he's talking to the Pharisees. And he says, Elijah did come, and you rejected him. Well, look at everything I just read that happens when they reject Elijah, right? Those, that means the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are the guys that are going to be trampled underfoot like ashes. Wow. 
so they come all the way down the mountain. They're having all that conversation all the way down. And this guy comes and falls at Jesus' feet. And he says, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures. He suffers. He often falls into the fire and into the water. So this guy was uh, possessed by a demon that was really trying to kill him. And would throw him into fire. Would throw him into water to drown him. All kinds of terrible stuff. And the guy says, I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't heal him. So you know, this happens. You go around town and somebody says, where do you go to church? And you say where you go to church and they go, oh, that's Pastor Friels. Or that's Pastor Heffley. Or, oh, that's Brett Nicholson. And they like judge the whole church by the pastor. And they you kind of carry that. That that's a modern day version of what the way they thought then was that any rabbi that had disciples, the disciples were just like the rabbi. That you were all the same. And so when Jesus says to or when Peter says to Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come out and walk on the water. He's saying, Rabbi, I can do everything you can do. You're teaching me. So if you're really my rabbi, show me how to walk on water like this. Call me out there. And then Jesus says, come on, and Peter does it, right? So when they say, we brought this man to your disciples, and they couldn't heal him, they're inferring to Jesus that you can't do it either. You must, you could, we heard you healed all these people. We heard you did all this great stuff. This one's too hard for you. And there's a, there's a struggle. Jesus says, Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I going to be with you? How long am I going to bear with you? Who's he talking to, right? He just kind of says it generally. He could be saying it to the disciples because they aren't getting it. They should be able to do this. We don't know. He could be talking to this person that's questioning whether he's really the Messiah or not. But Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out of him and the boy was healed instantly. Just like that, Jesus did it. That challenges the disciples. Because now the disciples are thinking, Okay, Jesus, you're our rabbi. We're your disciples. We're just like you. We couldn't do it. What's wrong here? This is, uh, this is the student blaming the teacher. You didn't teach me how to do this. Well, you were passing notes. No. The disciples came to Jesus privately. They said, why couldn't we cast it out? Matthew 17, 20, he said to them, because of your little faith. Wow. Truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. That's challenging to me. That is really, that is a really hard thing. Because I've prayed for a whole lot of stuff that didn't happen, right? I don't think we should read into this what it doesn't say. That everything you pray for and everything you could ever want you'll get. 
I don't think it's saying that. I know at the end of John, he said, whatever you ask for in my name, you'll receive. But that doesn't mean using the name of Jesus as a magic word. It's when you do something in my authority, in my, in my likeness, in my power, you'll get whatever you ask for in my power. But I'll tell you what this does do. So this doesn't solve it, and this doesn't give you the, oh, I just need to do this. But it makes me want to pursue Jesus more. It, may, it, it lures me on to further growth in Him. Does that make sense? See, I think, I think Jesus never wants us to feel like, while we're flesh and blood, I don't ever, want, I don't ever think that He wants us to feel like, ah, I do not have to pursue Jesus any further. I, I can be done with faith. I can just shut it off now and go eat ice cream. Um, I think he is always trying to draw. So much of our identity and who we are and how we define ourselves is wrapped up on what we seek after and what we're trying to figure out and what we're trying to get to, that he keeps it that way. And so I think he does this to not give them a clear answer. Truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. The other context of this is this actually happened, but not by faith, by Roman power. Uh, One of the Herods built this giant house on this giant hill, this mountainside, and there was a mountain in his way of the view of the sea. And so he ordered the mountain to be removed. So they had thousands and thousands of slaves work to remove this mountain so that Herod would have a good view of the sea. And so whenever Jesus refers to that a couple times, people would know how much work that was, how many years it took, that Herod really did it. You could do stuff that powerful by prayer and by faith. Wow. Alright, this last little thing. Um, Jesus says it again. i got two more things. Jesus says it again. They're in Galilee. The Son of Man is about to be delivered in the hands of men. They will kill Him, and He will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. So up till now, when Jesus has said He's going to die and suffer, Peter said, no, that's not true. That's not going to happen to you, right? That was last week. And he said, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Earlier on, he said, I'm going to suffer and be betrayed. And all the disciples said, but doesn't Elijah have to come first? Now, this time he says it, and they, they hear it, and they believe it. They were all distressed. It really started to settle in. And then you get this little side event. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, doesn't your teacher pay the tax? He said, yes. When he came, okay, so this only appears in the Gospel of Matthew, which is kind of fun because Matthew is a tax collector. And this is an event about taxes. But this is not about the Roman tax. This is a special tax. Ooh, this is a... This is actually a 
Levitical law tax. And they talk about it in Exodus, or in, yeah. And um, any man over 20 has to pay the temple tax. And this is kind of like your capital campaign. This is kind of like the church needs a new roof. We got to redo the cushions and the pews, you know, whatever. This, this doesn't have to do with any offerings. This doesn't have to do with a, a sin offering. This doesn't have to do with a holiday or a festival. It's just every man over 20 has to pay this tax to help take care of the building, to take care of the temple. So the Jewish rabbis used to argue about whether it was yearly, as needed, or once in a lifetime. The way this is worded, it's not once in a lifetime because theoretically Jesus would have already paid it and they wouldn't need to pay it again, right? But the other part is that it's a two drachma tax. It's a day's wages. So one day's pay, maybe once a year, maybe every few years, and only Jesus and Peter are asked to pay it. Because they're the only disciples that are over 20. Wow. So all the other disciples are under 20 years old. There's a couple other places and a couple other word usages where you see how old these guys were and, and that kind of thing. And um, some of them, you hear about who's married and who's not married. Remember Peter's married, he has a mother-in-law and Jesus heals her. So only Jesus and Peter are over 20. So they would have to pay this tax. Uh, the reason why they came to Peter and not directly to Jesus shows us something else. So, you know, um, if I want to have lunch with the president, right, I'm not going to write him on Twitter and be like, hey, can we have lunch? I'm going to contact somebody in his cabinet. I'm going to contact his administrative assistant. And we're going to say, hey, can I have lunch with him at this time? Can you give me some dates? And they'll schedule it. I don't dare go directly to him to, to have lunch, right? That's how rabbis were. Rabbis were respected like that. If you were a powerful rabbi, you would never be asked directly for something like that. They would go to one of your disciples. And so now all of a sudden we can also see Jesus is really being respected as an authority, as, a, as a, an authoritative rabbi, because they came to Peter and they said, Don't, doesn't your teacher pay the tax? But look at his answer. Matthew 17.25 Yes. So Peter answers yes. They come into the house. Jesus says to Peter, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take their toll or their tax? From their sons or from others? And Peter says, Well, from others. Right? No king is going to charge his kids taxes to pay for their room. That's what you have peasants for. We charge the peasants taxes so we can eat turkey legs and stuff. Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. The sons are free from tax, right? And you can just see Peter like, yeah. Then Jesus says, however, not to give offense to them, 
go to the sea, cast a hook, take the first fish that comes up. When you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. A shekel was a coin that was equal to two, equal to four drachmas. When you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel, take it and give it to them for me and yourself. So Jesus says, look, do, do the king's kids have to pay taxes to the king? Do they pay tribute to the king? No. Alright, so we don't have to pay taxes, Peter. You and me. Because they're the sons of the king. Jesus just made Peter, in his words and in his context, equal to himself as a son of God. He's going to call him that on Easter morning when he rises from the dead. Where's my brothers? But right there, he's like, do we, do, we don't have to pay. But, so that we don't make them mad, so we don't offend them, go catch this fish. We know how good a fisherman Peter was, right? As good as me. Terrible. Never catches anything without Jesus. So you're going to catch a fish, you're going to pull the coin out of its mouth, and it's going to cover you and me and give that to him. Jesus doesn't want to offend these guys. And he so wants to offend them, we've already established, by right, he doesn't have to pay this tax. He doesn't have to pay it at all. He's the son. He's the son of the king. He's already said, you tear down this temple, and in three days I build it up. He knows that in AD 70, the whole temple that they're paying to build is going to get torn down, and not one stone is going to be left on another. But so as to not offend them, he doesn't want to offend them. He wants to be sensitive to these guys. He wants these people, if they're going to be offended by something, it's not going to be the fact that he didn't pay his tax. And so, go pay it, and that will cover you and me. Isn't that awesome? It's just like, wow, of all the things I could be offensive about, I can actually pick the things that I offend people with. And the things that I don't, if I choose to not offend somebody, it might cost me some money. It might cost me a day's wage. But Jesus is able to provide for that. He's able to provide it as easily as he can make Peter catch a fish, which is near impossible. But he did that. And then can you imagine Peter, just what's going on in his head, and he catches the fish, and he's like, sure enough, there's a coin. Wow. My debt is paid. And again, we have Jesus providing for every single thing we need. Even stupid things like the Son of God having to pay the temple tax when He's the Son of the King. Even that, God's going to provide for us and help us to do it. Awesome. Alright, let's pray. Lord, You are so good. You provide everything we need, even when it's stupid that we need it, even when it's against our, uh, we have every right to not need it, and you still provide for us, and you still give. I pray that you would grow us, Lord, that you would help us to have faith, the, the have faith that could tell a mountain to move, or to tell a demon to come out of somebody. And that you would help us to grow in our faith and to mature in our faith and to draw nearer to you. We praise you, Lord, for even providing a way for Moses, for Moses' sins to be taken away, that he could taste 
walking in the promised land. And that one day we will see your glory. We will see one another for who we really are. And we will see the light, the light of your salvation uh, just radiant on our face like the sun. We praise you and we exalt you, Jesus. Thank you so much. Amen. All right. Let's stand and sing number 296 together.